Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line. Connor Tate is going to round third. He will score. And rounding third is Blaylock. He will score. And the dogs walk it off. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underground and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to a very special episode of the Classic City Sports Podcast. As you can see in the title, this is episode 100, and Jonathan and I have been doing this for a good while now. Uh, We started December of 2019, is that what it would have been, technically? 2020. December of 2020? Yeah, December of 2020. December 20, that's the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati. Yeah, before the Peach Bowl of Cincinnati, um, that was our debut episode, put that out, and then just grinded away over the past couple of years. Really got to to know Jonathan a lot more. The funny part, I'll tell a story before we even get into it, is Jonathan and I did not have any prior conversations or even know each other before we got into figuring out the logistics of doing a podcast. It was a quick DM that said, hey man, have you ever thought about doing a Georgia podcast? And the rest is history, 100 episodes in. Um, we've had some special guests along the way and people that have helped us a lot get to get where we are today. Um, so we appreciate everybody that have come on, starting with that same episode that was number one before the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati. We had a Marlo Herrera on the show. To start off the show, we started off strong. Then we were able to get a couple other people in there like Josh McAllister, J.J. Frazier. Um, and of course, a special thank you goes out to our boy Brooks Austin, who is also the reason we have been able to do as much as we have this far uh, and Jonathan, I mean, I'm here to tell you, man, this has been such an exciting period of time in my life to be able to sit here and do this with you every week. Uh, we became really good friends, and it's a it's a bond that'll last forever at this point all over Georgia football. Isn't it crazy how that works out? But that's all it took, man. Yeah, I mean, we were the definition of not study, we're just going to wing it type of people to start out with. Like, n- no conversations prior, just like, yeah, we're just going to talk Georgia versus Cincinnati. I remember I had a notebook full of notes. I don't think I used any single one of my notes I had written down for that podcast episode. And now, of course, you know, after years of practice, or not years of practice, but after so many episodes, you get better and you understand how to prepare for episodes so you don't sound like an idiot going into episodes. And yeah, the chemistry is there now. It's just it's, it, it definitely goes to show how much can change in just like two and a half years, if even like two and a half years at this point. Um, for sure. So it's been a blast. I loved it. I always thought myself I was just going to be a writer. I was just going to be a dude that wrote articles and that's what people know me for. And all of a sudden got a YouTube platform, a podcast that 
has grown a lot over the past couple of years. And I honestly almost say would say I prefer talking on video more than I would writing. I love both of them. But, you know, it's just easier, more casual to talk yeah. through people in video format than it is to actually sit there and write it out. Sound all, all formal. Make sure people th- at least make people think that I'm smart. Make people um, make myself sound smart in my articles. Whereas here, you know, I just get to be myself and I just get to ramble on about topics that we love and we are passionate about and bring the information that everybody wants. So, yeah, it's been enjoyable. I've loved every second of it. Absolutely. And I, I look forward to the next 100 episodes that we will grind yeah. out over here. Um, but let's, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump straight into it. As you can see in the title, we're going to look around the SEC, uh, specifically at the quarterback situation um, at several schools that Georgia will be potentially matching up with or, or you know, transition periods for different schools. We're going to get into that here in a minute. Um, but Jonathan found a, a nice little quote. Uh, or you know, thing explaining some of the stuff that went into the first national championship game that Georgia had, where Kirby Smart was reaching out to other people, and people had you know gotten information about Georgia from other people as well. And I'll go ahead and kick it over to you and let you jump into that part. Yeah, it's so it's kind of interesting because th- I think this quote and this story that Kirby Smart tells, which he did it on radio, I believe, is on ninety two point nine. The game was Stake Shapiro and those guys. I believe that's the correct radio yeah. station. If not. My apologies, but it was in there and he was talking about it. And I just thought it was interesting because you don't ever hear these types of stories. You don't really even think about these types of things existing, like this type of communication between coaches existing, like kind of like opponent helping out opponent, even though like even in this scenario, this opponent had just gotten their doors beat off by Georgia, but yet they were still there to extend a helping hand to Georgia and actually played a major role in Georgia going on to win their first national title in 40 plus years. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It's kind of a long quote. But I'll get to the gist of it. So he's so basically says a lot of times when you look back and talk to the opposing team you just played, you can gain some kind of insight that they might have had on you. That was a key ingredient talking to Michigan. They had talked to Alabama, who had just beaten us in the SEC championship game. They wanted information from Alabama. So some of the information we gathered from Michigan came from information that they'd gathered from Alabama. It was very unique to hear the perspective, and they gave us a little bit of extra incentive and motivation on some things that Alabama had said about us. Of course, I was able to parlay that into motivation for our guys. And I'll go and say this as well. This wasn't included in the quote, but I went and dug more into this because I wanted to see if there's anything else said about it. Kirby Smart then went on to say that Michigan basically told them that Alabama said Georgia is not very well conditioned. They were very fatigued. We don't think that they were ready to play, and those boys get gassed very quickly, specifically on defense. So what does Kirby Smart do in the next 10 days leading up to the national championship game? They ran. And his team – and he said the biggest thing about it was that his players bought in. He said there was guys yeah. waking up at 5, 6, 7 o'clock in the morning to go get extra conditioning in before practice. Before practice even starts, they're wanting to put more work in. He was like, you know, a lot of people don't think that you can do a lot of preparation in 10 days. But we packed a whole lot into 10 days. And he said in that extra conditioning that we did leading up to that game – paid off huge for us in that game. And it was, and he said it was a huge reason why we were able to go on and win the national title and beat Alabama in that game. So it's kind of interesting, you know, like Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, helping out Kirby Smart, telling them, like, hey, this is what the ops got on you. This is what they told us. So we're just going to relay it to you and see if that can help you out. Yeah. Be like, if we can't beat Nick Saban, we sure hope you do. We hope someone does. And there you have it. The rest is history. Georgia's 2021 national champs. And Michigan played a role in it, of all people. Yeah, and and it's funny that that I mean, you know they reached out to Alabama, got some information from them to kind of try to help them going into the Orange Bowl that year in Miami, and um, it's it's really funny that the piece of information they got was 
they're, they're not well conditioned. So I, I essentially, you know, look at that as saying, especially on defense, to look at it and say, hey, if we stay a little quick on offense, keep them from subbing a few times, uh, make them kind of backpedal a little bit more, that kind of thing, and, and keep them, you know, from being able to get that extra breath. That The funny part about it is it didn't work for Michigan, obviously, but in order for that to happen, you actually have to be successful on offense. Yeah. And um, you can't you can't go three and out. You can't let Georgia start by scoring off the bat and, and put up a bunch of points early in that game because then it's a different ball game and you can't really it's utilize their pace that. Of play. Yeah, you you have to play to Georgia's pace at that point exactly. And so you can't try to push them to their limits anymore. You've got to make sure every snap counts for you and you convert them. So you can't be rushing your stuff. But it's kind of a double edged sword on that side. You know, you can uh, Tennessee tried that on Georgia a lot last year too, and and previous seasons uh, that's kind of their mo and what they like to do and it just doesn't really work if you cannot convert those and you end up going three and out and you have short series all of all of a sudden you've given the defense a quick you know series and a, a break right away versus what you're actually trying to do is keep them on the field for a while keep them stretched out all that kind of thing and uh it takes a good offense to be able to utilize that information that they were given but like you said it turned around and it gave georgia the motivation to make sure, you know, or Kirby Smart, the motivation for his players to make sure that they knew they had to be more conditioned for that game against Alabama because Bama was able to and would do it again and, and actually like make you pay for that. And um, when you've got guy, I mean, Jordan Davis, one of the biggest things about him was, I mean, you know, he's a bigger guy. So if you, if we can't sub him out every few plays, at least for a play and let him get back in, mm-hmm. that can be, that can be bad for us, right? Like he can be in a spot where, he's not going to be 100% ready to go on every single snap at that point. So if you can do that to Georgia back then, yeah, it was a very successful way of approaching it. But it uh, it didn't work out for Georgia or for Alabama the second time around that season for sure. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that Kirby Smart said specifically, he's like, it's great that we got the information from an opponent and someone like Alabama – because if I was just sitting up there saying, like, guys, we got to get into shape, we got to do more conditioning, right. those guys are just going to be like, okay, we're doing this because coach says we have to, yada, yada, yada. But when it's when you come up to them and you say, this is what Alabama is saying about y'all, they take that as disrespect in a sense. Bulletin of like, board. Bulletin yeah, board nah, material. We're changing that narrative. That is, that is not how it's going to be and just adds that extra motivation. So it's really crucial that Georgia was able to get that information and to be able to say, like, this is what the kings of college football are saying about y'all. So what do you have to say about it? How do you want to respond to that? What do you want to do? And like I said, the rest is history, and it ended up producing a great outcome for them. So I just thought that was a really cool story because, like I said, you never hear stories like that about, like, you know, you don't hear stories about, um, oh, well, this is what Billy Napier told us. Or, like, we were talking to Billy Napier about how we should play Tennessee or anything like that. But in this scenario, Big Ten, SEC school, it's okay to talk about things like that and get some information from Michigan. And I thought it was interesting that Michigan was like, oh, yeah, we'll tell you what Alabama said about you. Like, here, we'll go ahead and list all the things that they told us about you. Because I, I really do think it was kind of one of those things like, we want someone to be Alabama, and we would like it to be y'all. Yeah. So take advantage of your shot and hey, go ahead and they're do going, it. they're going, listen, y'all just beat the crap out of us, but let's <laughs> let's talk about it this way. If y'all go and win the national championship, we don't feel so bad about our loss exactly. anymore. But if you go get your, <laughs> exactly. your butt beat by Alabama, it just makes us look even worse at that point. So maybe they're sharing. My, my biggest takeaway from that coming out was – I wonder how often those phone calls are made. I've, I've never heard of, you know, head coaches and in the SEC doing stuff like that. And I'm sure it's more common than we know because we don't necessarily Probably. get that type of information very often. And we're just now hearing about it. And this was a game from 2021. So 
it's a long time ago at this point that this even happened, but it does happen. And, and like you said, I think maybe they're a little more likely to do it when it's a Big Ten school that you crawl in and they're going to tell you a little bit more versus if we were to call Florida. I, I don't think Florida is going to try to give us any type of competitive advantage unless they need us to, to win a game to help them or something for like sure. that. That's Anything the only that's way. beneficial for you. Yeah, it's got to be mutually beneficial at that point, and I, I don't see very many scenarios where Billy Napier is going to be want, willingly giving up that type of information, nor would I see Kirby Smart giving it back the other way either. You know what I mean? Like I, I, don't, think, I don't think that part would happen, but there's scenarios obviously out there that it makes sense for the other team to help out when they can like that. So I thought it was pretty cool to know that um, – that Georgia was able to find some stuff out that helped them. And like you said, that 10-day period, I'm sure it was hell, uh, but I, I, it definitely prepared them. They looked so much better in that game than they did you know, a month before when they played Alabama the first time around. And uh, it, it was a very big difference that we saw in that team at that point. It was, it was a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, I mean, that game signified Georgia's run. Like that was the almost Started, like the yeah. kickstart of it all. I know that they had a really successful season in 2021, but beating Alabama, winning the national title is really what felt like sparked all of this. Like the ne- the following season, having a perfect 15-0 season and winning yet another national title. And it leads us up to now where Georgia is trying to defend their back-to-back national titles, and they are in good standing to go on and pos- and defend for a third national title in a row. And a lot of that has to do with just, you know, roster management. That was something that we talked about during last week's episode, how Georgia continues to beat the transfer portal. And we specifically talked about a situation in the quarterback room, how you have all three guys sticking around after yet another spring, another year of two guys are going to have to ride the bench yet again, a situation where Carson Beck waited his turn, and it looks like that patience is going to pay dividends for him, and he is going to get that starting role. And I think that's just yet another example of how Georgia continues to separate themselves from the rest of the pack, specifically against the rest of the SEC opponents. Because, you know, you look around the SEC, and that's what we're going to do. We said in the episode, a look around the SEC. And we're going to talk about three specific teams and their quarterback situations, teams that are in similar situations that Georgia was in, where you lose a guy like Stetson Bennett, a two-time national title um, champion a two, and a Heisman finalist and a record-setting performance in 2022. Most teams losing a guy like that makes you take a step back. you got a huge question mark on your quarterback room, but not Georgia. You know, Georgia's been sitting comfortably this entire time. You've never heard anybody – you really haven't heard anybody in the media say like, well, I'm really concerned about Georgia's quarterback room. Even before it, um, Carson Beck like really solidified himself as QB one, there really weren't any concerns about what Georgia was going, who Georgia was going to be rolling out onto the field when the fall rolls around. But these other schools that we're going to talk about, there's still some big old question marks on mm-hmm. their quarterback room, and there's some call, call for concern in those situations. The first one we're going to talk about is Alabama, the kings of college football, the goat himself, Nick Saban, that team. Crimson the tie. quarterback producers, too, by yeah. the way. Like, look Two at the quarterbacks they have in the NFL Mac right Jones. now. Yeah. yeah. Two attack of Iloa, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. I mean, they've had a Jaylen really good Hurts run. up there. Jaylen I'm going to give them credit for some of that, right? Like, I'm not going to absolutely give them too much there. But, I mean, Jalen Hurts played there for a few years. Um, they're known to have quarterbacks that end up having successful careers afterwards. It's a very different type of room right now. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. They went out and got a transfer quarterback because the guys that they had on their roster weren't separating themselves in spring practice and and, and during their you know their version of the G day whatever they call theirs mm-hmm. a day. But I guess I don't know. Uh, but they went through spring practice and they had no quarterback separating themselves from everybody else. So they had to go to the transfer portal to get the guy from Notre Dame. Which correct me on his name real quick. I can't remember. Tyler Buckner. 
Tyler Buckner. They had to go get him from Notre Dame and and see if he's going to fix their you know their solve their problems. I don't know if he is or not. I mean, mm-hmm. he he didn't look incredible. You know, he's not. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback, but I don't know if he's going to come in there and be head over like heels just better than these other guys. I don't know if he's going to mm-hmm. separate himself like that. He hasn't shown anything to say that for he hasn't shown anything for me to come on here and tell everybody like he's going to be the guy that kind of flips the script around for them this offseason. He played in three games last season for Notre Dame and then he threw for a little over 600 yards, had a completion percentage of about 58 percent. And he threw for 19 or no, he threw for five touchdowns and three interceptions or three touchdowns and five interceptions. It was one or the other. I think it was five interceptions and three games because then he ended up getting hurt and he missed 10 games. So. We really don't have a sample size to say like, oh, yeah, Bama just got a dude. They just fixed all their problems. No. I don't think so. I th- And it looks like Buckner is going to end up being the guy that they probably end up rolling out with. I mean, Jalen Monroe played last year during uh, – well, Bryce Young was hurt a little bit, and he looked okay. Yeah. But he looked like a guy that wasn't ready for the situation. Now, another offseason could change that very easily. Yeah. You know, Carson Beck said himself, I was not ready a year ago. Now I'm ready. I'm ready to run this offense. I'm ready to be in this situation. I'm ready to be the starting quarterback at Georgia. So off seasons and practice, spring practice, that can change those sorts of things. But it's just like you went in here thinking it was going to be Milrow or Ty Simpson, and now you're in here getting a transfer from Notre Dame, and it's still like, yeah, you got another guy in there, a guy that has some experience, but not a whole lot of experience. In fact, in his biggest game of his career against Ohio State, I believe he went 10 for 19, 177 passing yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Again, just not really that impressive. Like not horrible per se, but still like in a game like that, did you really show up? Not really. Not like you're probably going to have to at Alabama in these big games that they're going to have against say like a Tennessee or an LSU or a Texas A&M, you know? Yeah, and when you talk about Alabama too, what makes it so bad for them to be in this situation at quarterback right now is because they are normally a team that, or in the past, outside of the past few years, it's a little different, but they are a team that usually the defense is going to be able to help you out on that side, right? So, like if you have a quarterback that's not exactly firing on all cylinders and you can go out there and, you know, save a couple of possessions on the defensive side to kind of make up for the fact that you're going to come up empty a couple extra times on your offensive side. That's fine. You can make it work. They don't have that saving grace on defense. They they're giving up a lot more points than you're used to seeing. And they're going to have a new defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator this season. So they're learning new systems. They're, they're trying to figure everything out, new quarterback, new coaches. And uh, I, I just, I'm not saying Alabama's going to go out there and lose a bunch of games because, I mean, they, they are. Nick Saban's not going to go out there and lose four games or something like that. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that he's going to be the odds-on favorite to win every game this year. I think there's going to be some that he'll get matched up with that he could potentially be favored to lose. Not maybe. Well, I don't think he'll get favored to lose because I really don't think that they're willing to bet against Alabama on those because looking at their schedule, I don't think there's anyone that they're going to just give it to them as and make Alabama the underdog against. Uh, but I. I don't think there's going to be a lot of blowout wins against decent teams. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's really beneficial for Alabama is that you're bringing you brought in a Notre Dame offensive coordinator and Tommy Reese, and now you're bringing in Notre Dame's quarterback, so he kind of has some familiarity already with the offensive coordinator. So maybe you have that chemistry that's really going for you, and that's a good thing to have. Obviously, like a quarterback that's already familiar with the um, the. Um, you know, the the language of the offense and the concepts and kind of what you're trying to do. So that's good. But that might be the only positive that I have to say about that. The next one, though, 
right down south from Georgia, the Florida Gators. You know, you lose Anthony Richardson, a first-round draft pick. Florida didn't do very much with Anthony Richardson, didn't have much success with him. He really didn't he didn't show up against Georgia both times that he played. Had a couple of rough outings against the Bulldogs. And now you're stuck in a – now you're in the midst of a search for quarterbacks. So what do you do? What does any team do when they're looking to fill a void on the roster? They go in the transfer portal, Stoddard. That's what everybody does. That's the easiest and quickest way to fill a void, get someone who probably has experience at another school at that position that is looking for a scenery change and can probably help elevate your program up a little bit. Well, they go and get Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, who honestly didn't have terrible seasons – at, um, at Wisconsin. I'll go ahead and get the stats for you right here. In 2022, he, which was statistically his best season with Wisconsin, he threw for 2,136 yards, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and a near 60 completion percentage. So, you know, not horrible, but nothing that like pops off of the stat right. sheet for you or anything Didn't like blow that. it up. So then you go into the spring game. Graham Mertz is looking to be the clear front runner for the Gators, and they, the offense just lays an egg against in the spring game. I believe it ended in a final score of ten to 10, seven. Yeah, ten to seven. Ten to seven in a game-winning field goal in the closing minutes. So seventeen <laughs> total points. Ooh, that was oh, a doozy poverty. on a Thursday night where JV teams, JV high school teams play. That's pretty fitting that Florida would play on a Thursday night in that sort of scenario. Yeah. So. And now after the spring game, it was like uh, Florida might be going into the portal again to try and find another quarterback to come and play for them because we're not so sure about Graham Mertz and what he's going to do for us. But no. nothing has happened yet. No no players have been added to the roster. So they very well might be stuck with Graham Mertz. And this is concerning for a program that, okay, you get a bye in year one, Billy Napier. You get, you get that first year. You know, you're kind of rebuilding a little bit. You're trying to instill your system. You're trying to instill your goals, trying to bring them back up. Well, now it doesn't look like you're going to be taking a step forward. In fact, I've, I've still been saying that. I think there's a good chance that Florida finishes second to last in the East, only ahead of Vanderbilt. And that's actually what the draft or the, the betting lines are saying as well. Florida's going to – their um, over-under for wins is five and a half, and it's second to last in the SEC East. So – that's kind of what you're looking at right now. So, again, another quarterback situation. You lose a top talent guy like Anthony Richardson, and you have to fill a void, and I'm not sure that you're really going to fill that void. Florida is very much still treading water, and it's looking like they might end up drowning instead of resurfacing. Yeah. Well, we're talking about a team that uh, with a quarterback like Anthony Richardson, right, which you and I are on the same page. We've talked about it a bunch, and I, I don't really understand – uh, the hype of what he because like we watched game tape we watched him against Georgia we watched him against other people you take away that Utah game last year and it, he didn't have anything that looked great on tape for the most part he had one really good game and then fell apart after that and and just maybe that's part of the product of like the team he was playing on he didn't really have a lot around him I get that and he had a new coach I, I understand all of that my point with that comment though is even with him that is a guy that got drafted in the top five of the NFL draft. They went six and seven. So if that's the product you put up with a quarterback that everyone thinks has so much potential, all this potential in the world to be one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, like the rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, and that you you think he's going to be you know the next uh, – so many people compared him to like Cam Newton and all this kind of stuff, right? Like all of these guys, that's what they thought or think he's going to be. You could only go six and seven with a guy like that. And now guess what, buddy? You've got Graham Mertz as your guy. It, it could get really, really ugly in in Florida, in Gainesville. It's not going to be pretty down there. Uh, I'm I'm excited to watch it, honestly, because like that's 
their downfall is kind of fun, um, as bad as that is. But, you know, this is a Georgia page, and we're Georgia fans, so we can say it. It's fine. Uh, real quick, Roots, uh, appreciate you being in the comments as well. The address for the for the, for the potato, I'll, I'll tell you what, text me, and you can, it, you can, you can send a potato, but you got to oh, hand boy. deliver it. You got to hand deliver oh. the potato if you're going to do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll a Rudy siding in Athens, I'm here for it. I'm that would be a fun night. Keep That'd be a fun that night. comment section for us, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. But, third school, third and final school that we're going to talk about for this discussion is Auburn. Um, Auburn's a little bit different than these other schools, than um, Florida and Alabama, just because, you know, they didn't just have a prolific talent enter the NFL draft, and they didn't have that type of void to fill. But they still have a void at quarterback to fill, and they're kind of in – some shady water as well because, you know, TJ Finley hit the transfer portal. You get Peyton Thorne from Michigan State to come in, and now he's on your team, and it's going to be a battle between Peyton Thorne and Robert Ashford, who we saw against – he played against Georgia last year. Again, didn't look great. Showed some potential. Like, there were some bright spots of his game, but just looked like a guy that was like, I just got thrown to the wolves as a true freshman. I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing. I'm not extremely confident, but I know that I'm fast and I know that I can run. And that's what his game plan looked like against Georgia. And you saw some development in his game as the year progressed. But, again, going into the 2023 season now, not sure you have complete confidence in someone like him being the starting quarterback for your team. So that's why you go and get a guy like Peyton Thorne from – Michigan State, who again, it's just it's kind of like the same lines as Graham Mertz and um, Tyler Buckner. Like he actually played pretty well at Michigan State. He had some decent yeah. seasons. There was one season, not last season, but the one before that, he threw for over three thousand yards. So I mean, he's it's a pretty good quarterback. Mel Tucker had some um, pretty good success with him as his starting quarterback up there, but now he comes down to Auburn. It's just again, it's like. I'm not going to sit here and say like that's super concerning for them just because I really don't know much about Peyton Thorne and I'm not going to sit here and act like yeah. that I do, but it's still a reason to say slap a question mark on it because I don't know. I don't know what you're going to have yeah. at quarterback and that that right there is a cause for concern. Not because you have Peyton Thorne on your roster, but it's because we don't know what you're going to have at quarterback. We don't know which, right. what you look he like could at quarterback. Be, he could have another 3,200-yard season or something like that, um, or he could go out there and throw for yeah, 2,300 yards. Very well possible. Yeah. I mean, he could, he could do something. And that's the biggest thing. The whole point of this segment is there are question marks at these schools, um, at this position that leads to concerns for the overall program. Because when you looked at last year for Auburn, Auburn was not good. Obviously everybody knew they weren't going to be good. We got all that, but their offense was so like centered around tank Bigsby and he's gone now. So they don't really have a guy like that to pull the load away from a quarterback that isn't doing so well. Uh, you know, one of the things about having a young quarterback uh, that helps or a new quarterback that helps is a good run game. And and they, I don't know that they're going to have that this year the same way that they did at least last year, where I think 75% of their offense, it felt like, was Tank Bigsby. Like every game that they had any success, it was always him. I mean, he was running the ball 25 times a game, it felt like, and just absolutely just bulldozing through everybody, uh, which – where I was always a fan of Tank Bigsby, so I'm glad he, you know, is off to do bigger and better things now. Yeah, he doesn't have to play for that nasty school there, but um, he's off to something better. But when you don't have that type of help on offense for a new quarterback in a system like that, it could get a little rough for them. So I mean, I, I'm not saying they're going to be god awful this year, but I don't think they're they haven't made their turn yet to in in the new regiment of the you know coaching staff and new reign of the coaching staff and everything like that, that it's going to take a little bit for them to build that program back up, give them a couple more years to kind of really get under, you know, control under Hugh Freeze at that point. 
Yeah, like you said, the overarching theme here is like amongst the programs that are undergoing a change of quarterback, you have three examples of teams that are still trying to tread water, figure things out, survive. That's what they're trying to do. Alabama, Florida, and Auburn. Those are the three schools. One of those is supposed to be a national title contender this year. Yet they have question marks in the quarterback room. And then you have Georgia perched up on the beach, laid out in the sun, and just saying, yeah, we good. Don't worry about us. It's another example of how Georgia continues to separate itself and be that much better than their peers in the SEC. You lose a player as historic as Stetson Bennett, and you're sitting here the following season. Yep, we're ready to go defend our back-to-back national titles like nothing ever happened. We're still ready to go. Didn't lose any momentum. We're ready to take on the fight. That's what good teams do. That's what great teams do. That's what elite teams do. The only example that you could kind of compare Georgia to is Tennessee, who lost Hinn and Hooker, and now they're going to have Joe Milton up. And Joe Milton was from Michigan, and now he's at Tennessee. And he looked pretty good in the closing games that he started when Hinn and Hooker went out with an injury. He looked pretty good. I don't know if he's going to be able to produce the same numbers that Hinn and Hooker did. I think Hinn and Hooker's a cleaner passer, probably a better decision maker, a little bit better on the deep ball, and that's what Tennessee's game is predicated on. I think Joe Milton has a great arm, a rocket arm. He's got a lot of juice in it, but maybe some accuracy issues a little bit. Interested to see how that offense looks with Joe Milton and see if they can continue and continue to build off of that offensive success that they had in 2022 under Heupel. Yeah, that's a great example because that's a team that in all of the movement and they like losing a guy like Hendon Hooker that is, uh, you know, everyone was saying he should have been a Heisman finalist, all that stuff. But, he, you know, he messed up his knee. Everything kind of played out the way that it did. You're losing a player like that and then still being able to be confident at your quarterback position, I think, is a huge step for them to make sure that they stay in the area that can uh, that can actually compete for a title still this year right so you're talking about a team that coming off a historic season last year uh loses to georgia when georgia's at home in that game and then you know obviously falls apart against south carolina you get hendon hooker gets hurt now you get to trans change things over to a guy like joe milton who has shown he can play he's a decent quarterback and you can you can go into next season knowing that you have some familiarity, some comfort there, which, like you said, is exactly what Georgia has with with Stetson Bennett leaving and Carson Beck stepping up. Carson Beck's been in that system for a few years at this point. He has been working his butt off. Like we said before, he came out in an interview with uh, with Aaron Murray and said that you know the year that Stetson got the job, the first year that he started, he wasn't ready that year. He he wasn't ready to play. But the following year, he felt like he was ready. But guess what? Georgia came off a national championship. They had Stetson Bennett coming back another year. Absolutely killed it. And so he sat there, waited his turn, kept his head down, kept learning from a guy like Todd Munkin to absolutely absorb as much information as possible to now he can go into this season with a high level of confidence and being ready to absolutely light it up. And I think that, I don't know, it's exact same situation at Tennessee with Joe Milton, but it's a guy that you are, if you're Tennessee and you're Hypel, you're comfortable putting him out there on Saturdays, knowing that he's not going to go lose you a bunch of games. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Carson Beck interview that he did. I believe it was Footballville. I think that's what the account was called. It is a really good interview if you haven't listened to it. I think one thing that Carson Beck really showed in the interview is how mature he is and how much he has grown during his time at Georgia. Because like you said, he admitted in 2021, he said, I was pissed that I didn't get my I didn't get the start against UAB. Like I thought it was mine. I thought I was going into that game. I was going to be a starting quarterback. And that that was going to be me for the next couple of years. I was going to be the starter at the University of Georgia. He said, now looking back, I'm glad I didn't start because I wasn't ready. He, he said I mentally yep. wasn't re- I was not mentally ready for that, and I was just not comfortable enough to be put in that position. And I thought also something that I, or something that I also thought was interesting that he talked about was he, you know, he's been around a lot of quarterbacks. He was in the 2020 quarterback room with J.T. Daniels, Dwan Mathis, Stetson Bennett, 
and Jamie Newman even. And mm-hmm. then you go fast forward another year, JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett. So he's been around a lot of different guys. Gunner's that feels like a decade Denver. ago, the whole Jamie really Newman stuff. For, it feels forever, forever ago. And he said the best thing about that is I was able to pick the brains of so many different people. He's saying, you know, I talked to JT and he said, JT is one of the smartest people I've ever met. One of the smartest football minds I've ever met. And he took pieces of his game. And then he also talked to Stetson and he figured out ways to handle the off the field stuff. You know, there's a lot of pressure on a starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. Stetson Bennett is a prime example of that, of what the naysayers are going to be saying about you, what social media is going to be saying about you. No matter what you do, there's always something wrong that you're doing. And he figured out ways to kind of deal with that and kind of figure out how to maneuver his way through those things and the noise from the media and having to talk to the media, those sorts of things. So he's grown a lot over the last three few years. And I think he's in a perfect position yeah. now to go in and start for Georgia, be ready, 100% ready, and be ready to take on the toll of commanding an offense at the University of Georgia and competing for a national title. And so we're excited to see what that looks like and how he looks finally getting a chance to prove himself. And I think it's going to produce good results. I think it will too. And to kind of go back again, I see Brooks uh, with the film guy network in the comments. Appreciate you being here, brother. Um, Shout out to him on this because he did an interview with, with Stetson Bennett not long ago. It's available on his YouTube channel as well. Y'all got to go check that out because I, I even told him this. I was like, it's it's some of the best stuff that he's ever put out there because he gave something from Georgia fans or for Georgia fans that we haven't gotten, which was one one. you got to actually see a one-on-one conversation with Stetson and see his personality and his mindset come out. The reason I bring that up in this part of the conversation is he is the perfect person to be around a guy like Carson Beck who had to sit and wait for a while because he can tell you, man, I was sitting there. I didn't think I was ever going to get, I was told I was never going to get to play. And I just kept, you know, I'm sitting on the sidelines and, or at practice and I'm there for three hours every day. I, what was I going to do other than just throw the football and really look at my, you know, be my own dude. mechanics and, and figure out, be, yeah, be a dude. So that's what he did. He sat there and he worked for three hours every day off the side because he's not getting reps with the, the main units and everything. So he's really just kind of doing his own stuff and, and focusing on his own mechanics and everything that he should be doing. You know, he talked about the feel of throwing the football and was like, all right, I know I can spin and I can do it, but why can I do it? And started really looking into the mechanics of himself. And he was able to develop that way. But think about like having a guy like that in front of you and, and, and being Carson Beck that you could go talk to him and he's going to tell you, hey, man, I know you feel like practice. You're just sitting aside and stuff, but just work. I mean, you're there. You might as well put in the work and the effort. And I think that that's something that Carson's been doing as well is really focusing on that. And he had a great guy in front of him to tell him, you know, what he did and how he stayed ready to go. Uh, whenever your number's called, got to be ready to do it. And Stetson was, and I, I really, really do think that uh, that Carson Beck is about to be extremely prepared. And Georgia's going to be Georgia fans are going to be extremely happy with the product they get on the field from him this year. Yeah, being surrounded by other great people, successful people, and people that know how to navigate themselves in the environment that you're in that's a, that's great for your own success. It's all about the people that you're around, the people that are surrounding you, like who the people that you consider like. The people that you put yourself with, that that's what matters. That's a big piece to the puzzle is just your peers and who's there helping you along the way and yeah. who's giving you good information. What are those people feeding you? That That's a big piece of the puzzle, like I said. So, yeah, really good for him to have learned under Stetson Bennett for the past couple of years and all the other quarterbacks that he was able Everyone, to be around yeah. with over the past few years. So that's really beneficial for him. And I think, like I said, I think it's going to pay off huge dividends for him and it's going to produce a really successful season. All right, we're going to get into the final segment. This one's going to be kind of fun, just lighthearted. I know typically when we say we're doing King of the Hill, 
typically we mean we want me and Stoddard at each other's throats on something, even though it never happens. It's happened like maybe once try. Or twice <laughs> over the hundred episodes that we've done. It's rarely ever happened where me and him disagree. Unfortunately, I'm sure that it's not exactly great for content, but nonetheless, this is who we are. And this time it's just going to be, like I said, lighthearted. We're just going to, it's episode 100. There's a lot of memories made over 100 episodes. Like I said, a little over two years, you know, dating back to December of 2020 to now yeah, May of 2020. Two and a half years at this point. There's a lot wow. of episodes. There's a lot of minutes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talking from us. There's a lot of memories in that from um, over that time span as well. So I'll let you start because I, th- I have a good one. I like, I like the one that I picked out. We just want to hear your favorite memory, Stoddard, of all the years doing the Classic City Sports Podcast. What is your favorite memory? If you only had to pick one, which one would you pick? It's a tough thing to do because you were you and I are talking before the show, and there's so many moments that that stuck out or that stood out and that were just memorable in in their own way. Um, everything from you know eating the one chip on the show that almost oh, killed both of us to Race. the the famous uh, pizza debate about pineapple on pizza. That was the one time that we genuinely argued uh, during King of the Hill. All the fun stuff that we had with that. But I think one of my favorite things is just because it our show that was only getting at the time, like maybe 50 listens on, you know, Spotify and all that kind of stuff at the time. And that was like a good episode with that back then early on, we're talking like early 2021 when we've only been doing this for a few months. Yeah. And, um, we reached out to a buddy and had JJ Frazier come on the show, which it was really cool to have him. We got to talk some Georgia basketball, which we haven't talked much of, uh, on the show in a while, but we should definitely need to. Mike White is one of them. He's, he's doing he's one of them. He's doing it. But we had JJ on the show and this was with the previous head coach, obviously at the time. And, um, I'll never forget the next day I'm getting a, a message from JJ. That's basically uh, telling me that there's some waves from our episode that was running through the coaching staff over at Georgia basketball program and, and all of the, the people there. So our, our episode was well known at that point in time, uh, by some very important people at Georgia. It was pretty funny to me. Um, it was just an interesting and and nothing was said on that show that was wrong or, you know, going after anybody, anything like that. But it was just, it was funny to see that it made its way to the people that it did. So I think that's one of my favorite memories just because it, it, the episode kind of got pushed around a little bit considering we were still only getting like 45 views or listens at the time because we were solely on, on Spotify and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that, that's a great way to build a brand. You know, you're five months into a (laughs) podcast, so go ahead and piss off some of the people that work at the university that you are talking about and you are trying to pump up and you're trying to create content around. That's, that's a great yeah, idea, right? right? Some up and comers going ahead and burning some bridges. It seemed like, you know, <laughs> so oh. I, that is a good, me- I don't know if it's a good memory. Cause it's kind of like, kind of like, dude, what the heck? Like what, what is going on? Like we're just some dudes chopping up about Georgia basketball, cutting it up with it JJ Frazier. And now we're getting cut down about it. Like whatever, but mine's different. Mine's just with me and you. This, this is one of my favorites just because, to me, this was like, okay, clearly you and I are both very committed to what it is that we are doing. And we actually give a damn about what we are trying to do here. And at least we're trying, we're giving it our best still. At this time, we were not very well known. I think we, we maybe had 50 subscribers on YouTube. And the fact that we did this showed me like, okay, he's just as much committed to this as I am. Because, you know, I, I'm pursuing a career in this. This is what I want yeah. to do for a living, what I am doing currently, writing and talking on YouTube. That's what, you know, that's the type of thing that I want to do. You, you have a job outside of this. This is not what you're trying to do for a living. So you very easily in this scenario could have been like, ah, whatever, dude, we'll just push it back. We'll get another time. But you were out in Las Vegas for business, your other job outside of this. 
And I was yeah. like, do you think you'll be able to do an episode? And you're like, yeah, maybe I can get back to the hotel room and we can do an episode. And you said, I'm shooting for like seven and there's a three hour time difference. So that's 10 o'clock for me. I was like, oh yeah, perfect. Like, that's no big deal. I can stay up. I'll hang around and record an episode, put out the next day. And you text me, you said, yeah, it's not going to be seven. <laughs> it's going to be a little later than that. And I stayed up until about 1.30 in the morning to record an episode. You had just spent a night on the town in Las Vegas, Sin City. You get back, stumble back into your hotel room, open up the laptop, and we record an episode. I don't even remember what we talked about on that episode. I think it was after the- we'll have to go back and watch that one. And me and you sat there for an hour and talked about Georgia football. Both of us exhausted, but yet we had to produce an episode because we said we were going to record an episode. Yep. For me, that was just like a, a defining moment for us. Like, yeah, this this we're committed to this. We want to build this brand up as much as possible. And if that means we have to stay up late, record and put pour out a nightcap and drink and record an episode, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to be here. We're going to show up. And when we say we're going to record an episode, we're going to record an episode. So hopefully committed you committed to the brand. Us. And hopefully we reciprocate that well enough to you guys that you guys realize that. But yeah, that that's definitely one of my favorite memories. One of an all timers. I enjoyed that one a lot. And maybe I do need to go back and listen to the episode and just see how much we've grown <laughs> since then. Because boy, that would make me yeah. feel better about myself probably after listening to that episode. But yeah. So that's going to do it for us, guys. Again, episode 100. Hopefully it was a good one for you guys. Hope you, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And if you stuck around this far, we, we appreciate you. But before you head out, before you close that YouTube tab, go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button for us. Share with your friends and family. As the good banner down there says, do all that good stuff for us. Continue to share with us and continue to indulge in the content because it helps us a lot. It helps us grow. And all of you people that show up in the comment section every single week, we appreciate you because you guys are doing a lot for us as well. So again, like and subscribe. And Stoddard, you can close us out. As always, y'all keep it classy in the classic city, and here's to the next 100. We'll see y'all later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Express the sentiments of the entire